0: Did you love buy high sell low? Based on the feedback we've received via email on Twitter, contact the show, rotounderworld at gmail.com or on Twitter at rotounderworld. Based on the feedback we've received, I can confidently say that the buy high sell low segment we did on the last show was our most popular segment ever ever, ever, ever. And you want more? Yes. You want more buy highs, more sell lows. And I aim to please. We are here to deliver Jay Ajayi. Buy high. Yes. But you don't buy high on Jay Ajayi because He's a special running back talent. That's not what he is. You buy high on Jay Ajayi because he's running behind one of the best offensive lines in football. If you're seeking a running back, running behind an elite run-blocking offensive line, you're going to have to pay a lot to get DeMarco Murray, to get Ezekiel Elliott. Those players likely are not available in your league, but you may be able to acquire Jay Ajayi from someone who's doing it wrong in your league. Someone who is approaching the act of trading backwards. Someone who wants to sell high when you seek to buy high. That's why Jay Ajayi is a great target. But I keep hearing that I have it wrong with Jay Ajayi, that I like Jay Ajayi for the wrong reasons. I shouldn't be focusing on the offensive line. I should be giving him more credit. Yes, as we parse out the credit that's distributed to players and teammates and coaches. Yes, I'm not giving Jay Ajayi enough credit. Jay Ajayi broke 10 tackles in a game, Matt Kelly. I'm sure he did. Stringing together multiple impressive performances with lots of broken tackles does not make you an elite running back. Jay Ajayi is a professional football player. You give a professional running back, starters touches, primary back touches, he's going to have games in which he breaks a lot of tackles. He's a professional running back. That's what they do. He runs hard, and that's what they do. There are going to be games that Jay Ajayi breaks a lot of tackles, and that's a bonus if you're a Jay Ajayi owner. You're buying him because of the wide running lanes he now gets to run through. And if you break some tackles along the way and post 200 yards, bonus! All the better. That's great. But I'm here to tell you that his ability to break tackles in certain games does not make Jay Ajayi Any kind of special because when the Miami Dolphins offensive line was an inefficient run blocking unit earlier in the season, he was ineffective in practice and in preseason games. When Miami coaches were evaluating Jay Ajayi, they didn't see a special back. They were eager to replace him with at first CJ Anderson. That didn't work out. Then Arian Foster and Kenyon Drake was one of the first five running backs drafted in the 2016 draft. The Jay Ajayi profile on playerprofiler.com looks above average, it does. Average speed, average agility, above average burst, and he was productive at the college level. But Jay Ajayi was an inefficient runner at Boise State, and the passes he caught were dump-offs. He's not an efficient receiver. He's not fluid in space. And when you watch him, he doesn't have football burst. He doesn't explode through the holes like Lamar Miller did a year ago in Miami. Jay Ajayi is a grinder. He runs hard. And he's perfectly suited for this offense. Defenders will stack the line of scrimmage to stop Jay Ajayi, but those mauling offensive linemen are going to open up holes regardless, and he's going to run hard because that's the thing that he's good at, and he's going to break some tackles. But we've learned this lesson with Thomas Rawls and C.J. Anderson and so many running backs in previous years. Impressive running back performances over a small sample size tells you close to nothing. Look at some of these impressive running back performances that Matt Jones has posted. 138 yards, six evaded tackles and a touchdown. Week four against Cleveland. 135 yards and a touchdown against Philadelphia. That was just a couple weeks ago, and now the Washington coaches are telling you, this is Rob Kelly's job, and Matt Jones might be inactive on game day. What happened? Those were impressive games. In week three, Matt Jones had eight evaded tackles. Wow. He runs hard. He looks impressive. It's the power back fallacy. The running backs that run to contact and overtly break tackles look better than they are because it creates a visceral experience watching a collision and watching your running back come out on the other side, the ram who locked horns with a competitor won the collision, is standing on top of the mountain, that looks and feels impressive while you're watching it. But your eyes are lying to you if they're telling you those truck defenders laying on the ground after the broken tackles were left in the wake of a truly special running back, someone you should be investing in in all formats. That's wrong. That's the power back fallacy. In general, you should be staying away from the power backs unless... They're running behind one of the league's most efficient run-blocking offensive lines. And that's where Jay Ajayi is. Even if Ryan Tannehill is a below-average starting quarterback in the NFL, it doesn't matter. Jay Ajayi is still going to be productive because the Dolphins are starting four 320 pound jumbo tackles on the line. They've abandoned the notion of the guard in football. They start four tackles and a center. So as long as the Dolphins are blocking well for Ajayi, he's going to be productive and he's going to be someone you should be trading for. But over the long run, as the sample grows and the offensive line inevitably experiences injuries, Brandon Albert might go down again, Mike Pouncey goes down again. All of the sudden, that cohesive super efficient run blocking offensive line crumbles and then Jay Ajayi is forced to prove that he's a special back because the truly special backs can succeed even behind underwhelming run blocking offensive lines that's the difference between a Jay Ajayi and a Melvin Gordon Melvin Gordon's a top fantasy football running back running behind a substandard offensive line because he's special Jay Ajayi wouldn't be Jay Ajayi running behind the San Diego Chargers offensive line. If Jay Ajayi and Melvin Gordon switch places, then at this point in the season, there would be real questions about whether Kenneth Farrow will be supplanting Jay Ajayi. The coaches would be talking about how frustrated they are with Jay Ajayi. And it's not Jay Ajayi's fault 100%. It's a symbiotic relationship. The running back and the line are one unit, essentially, are one running game. This has been the consistent through-line theme of this show for months now reiterating and reiterating that the running back position is highly disposable in the NFL and most of them are just dude guys and I keep reiterating it because you all keep objecting on our YouTube pages constant objections on our Twitter feed constant objections in our inbox constant objections to my insistence that the vast majority of the running backs that you will find in the NFL and that you end up starting in fantasy football are just dude guys. And you all keep citing these impressive stretches. Look at what C.J. Anderson did in the second half of 2014. Wow! Impressive back-to-back 200-yard performances with double-digit evaded tackles for Jay Ajayi. Whoa! Whoa! And the thing that's maddening to me is I'm not even saying these are bad players. In the case of C.J. Anderson, I knew there was a better talent on the roster in Devontae Booker, so the advice was avoid C.J. Anderson at his ADP. In the case of Jay Ajayi, there isn't a better running back on the roster. His situation has been improving, so you should be buying Jay Ajayi. Now there's an argument about how good Damian Williams is. Would Damian Williams be just as productive if given the same number of touches as Jay Ajayi? We're gonna have Bruce Miller from No Halftime on the show. Bruce Miller is the co founder and the head of product at No Halftime. I very much enjoy talking to the entrepreneurs, and we'll ask him for his thoughts on the Miami backfield. But the criticism I'm receiving is beyond vexing because I've been saying buy high on Jay Ajayi. I haven't said sell Jay Ajayi, I haven't said Jay Ajayi sucks. I'm just saying that he's not measurably above replacement. You shouldn't be going out and trading for him in a dynasty league where you're making a long-term commitment to the player, and you shouldn't be cheering for your favorite NFL team to go out and sign Jay Ajayi like the Texans overpaid for Lamar Miller. That's why I'm here, to zoom out and provide a perspective that no one else is providing, a nuanced opinion about Jay Ajayi. He's a buy and redraft. He's a stay away in dynasty because he's just a guy Now, we mentioned Damian Williams. We'll talk to Bruce Miller about Damian Williams later. What other sleeper RB stashes are worth rostering right now in fantasy leagues? Well, it's not Derrick Henry. The only reason you owned Derrick Henry in the past was as a pure lotto ticket stash just in case DeMarco Murray gets hurt. And DeMarco Murray didn't get hurt, and Derrick Henry was only usable one week this season, and no one started him that week. So Derrick Henry will close out 2016 being completely useless in fantasy football leagues. We mentioned this weeks ago. There's no point in stashing Derrick Henry ahead of Week 7, Week 8, and Week 9 when half the NFL teams have their bye weeks. You can't afford a pure lotto ticket stash when your team is facing voluminous bye weeks. It's not feasible to continue to roster that player. If you're going to roster Derrick Henry, you can start rostering him in week ten. Once we're past most of the bye weeks, feel free to roster a lotto ticket stash like a Derrick Henry. During the heavy bye weeks, you should be stashing running backs with standalone upside. Kenneth Dixon could quite easily usurp Terrence West in the weeks ahead. Dixon's getting out-touched by Terrence West by a significant percentage, but Kenneth Dixon is capable of posting double-digit fantasy points in any given game just because he's one of the most efficient pass-catching running backs in the league. I'm already prepared to say that based on what Kenneth Dixon did at Louisiana Tech. One of the most impressive receivers at the running back position to come out of college in years. It's why we were recommending rostering Chris Thompson in August. Washington has a tumultuous backfield. Why not take the one consistent asset in the Washington run game, Chris Thompson? And if there's volatility at the top with Matt Jones and Rob Kelly, Chris Thompson will receive more touches, more carries, more fantasy points. He already had standalone value starting in week one because he's active in the passing game. And then his value enhances, his value increases, As volatility increases in the backfield, he's anti-fragile. Kenneth Dixon is anti-fragile. Anti-fragile has nothing to do with injury proneness. Kenneth Dixon is more injury prone than Terrence West because Kenneth Dixon already suffered a medium severity knee sprain earlier this season. So I wouldn't call Kenneth Dixon durable. He hasn't proved himself durable at the NFL level, but he's anti-fragile in that if volatility hits the backfield, he gains value. That was the case for stashing Kenneth Dixon over a player like Derrick Henry. The other reason you were stashing Kenneth Dixon over Derrick Henry is because Kenneth Dixon is behind a pure jag running back in Terrence West, where Derrick Henry was sitting behind one of the exceptional running backs in the NFL, DeMarco Murray. So you could imagine Kenneth Dixon usurping Terrence West without an injury, whereas Derrick Henry required an injury to DeMarco Murray in order to be fantasy relevant. That's the difference. Even though the Titans have a better run-blocking offensive line, it was still better to stash Kenneth Dixon because the probability that Kenneth Dixon is going to have a fantasy viable week much higher during a period in the NFL schedule in which there's a lot of bye weeks. So Derrick Henry and Jay Ajayi are very much opposites. You were avoiding Derrick Henry in redraft this year and buying him in Dynasty. You were buying Jay Ajayi in redraft and avoiding him in Dynasty. There was also no reason to waste a draft pick on Derrick Henry because inevitably someone like Kenneth Farrow emerges. Kenneth Farrow is the best injury lottery ticket stash of all the NFL running backs. But San Diego is going into a bye in week 11, so it doesn't make sense to stash Kenneth Farrow at this moment either. Even though I like Kenneth Farrow's profile, and I think he would be productive, 125.6 81st percentile burst score, 1109 77th percentile agility score. Kenneth Farrow at 59218 has incredible size-adjusted agility, but you don't need to roster him with San Diego heading into a bye shortly. I know you're asking, why are you talking about all these players that aren't fantasy viable at this moment? Damian Williams, Derrick Henry. Kenneth Farrow, Fitzgerald Toussaint, because you tune in to Roto Underworld Radio to learn about players no one else is talking about. That's why we're here. That's why Player Profiler exists, to illuminate the quality of players that most fantasy analysts are ignoring. D'Angelo Williams just underwent a knee scope, and Fitzgerald Toussaint is Le'Veon Bell's primary backup in Pittsburgh. That's what you want to roster. And Fitzgerald Toussaint has a 1069 agility score. 1069 agility score at 510-205. That's exceptional size-adjusted agility. He's not particularly big, but a 1069 agility score is mind-blowing. Average speed, above-average burst, well-above-average upper body strength. Fitzgerald Toussaint is relatively impressive. He's not special. He's not But he's as impressive as Kenneth Farrow, and Kenneth Farrow would be productive in a Philip Rivers offense, and Fitzgerald Toussaint would be productive as a starting running back in a Ben Roethlisberger offense. What's the biggest difference maker in fantasy football? Touchdowns. When you're a starting running back on the Chargers or the Steelers, what are you going to get a lot of? Red zone touches. Red zone touches equate to touchdown. There's so much obsession with the name-brand players and perceived talent at the running back position, and it's misguided. You should be surgically examining the depth charts, finding the running backs that are moving up the depth charts on teams with highly efficient run-blocking offensive lines, like the Miami Dolphins, or teams that visit the red zone often, like the San Diego Chargers and the Pittsburgh Steelers. And fortunately, playerprofiler.com has the best depth charts tool in all of fantasy football. Go to playerprofiler.com forward slash depth dash charts. Many of you are unaware of this. Also, when you're on a player page, you can click on the team name under the player's name. And we are constantly updating the depth charts based on the team's published depth charts as well as Weekly Snap Shares. I would put our depth charts up against anyone's depth charts. NFL.com, Roto World, anybody's. We're on it. So whenever I'm looking for the optimal lotto ticket stash running back, I go to the playerprofiler.com depth charts page. And behind D'Angelo Williams on the Pittsburgh Steelers running back depth chart, there you will find Fitzgerald Toussaint. By the way, are we making any more Fitzgeralds? Contact the show at Roto Underworld. Email us, rotounderworld at gmail.com. Fitzgerald's, are there any babies being born with the name Fitzgerald anymore? I'm curious to know this. So you all asked for more buy highs and sell lows, and I gave you one. I gave you Jay Ajayi. And then off onto a tangent, talking about players that I'm interested in because no one else is talking about them. So how do we bend it back to the proper theme on the show? We read a Buzzard message. Buzzard tweets the show, is Kristen Michael a sell low? Yes. Kristen Michaels is a sell low, just like Terrence West is a sell low, because there's a running back behind Kristen Michael and behind Terrence West on the depth chart who's clearly more talented. Kenneth Dixon's a special talent. Terrence West is not. CJ Proseis on Seattle's a special talent. Kristen Michael is not. Just because you have great workout metrics and Kristen Michael has an upper percentile Spark X score, looks like a super athlete according to the workout metrics, but on the field, not efficient. And beyond that, he's not a pass catcher. If you had to pick the one reason why Terrence West and Kristen Michael are not special talents, because they're not effective out of the backfield in the passing game. That means a lot. Last week, Seattle had a 75-25 pass-run ratio in the second half with a lead against the Buffalo Bills. Think about that. And who was on the field as the Seahawks were calling pass plays? It was C.J. Proceis, not Kristen Michael. Second half last week, C.J. ProSize, 15 snaps. Kristen Michael, 4. And every week, C.J. ProSize's snap share has increased 25% to 42%. Last week, it finally exceeded Kristen Michael, 55%. Kristen Michael's over. Sell low. Sell him for whatever you can get at this point. Every year, it takes the Seattle Seahawks... A half season to realize our offense is better when we flip the pass-run ratio. When we flip the pass-run ratio on its head and we implement an up-tempo pass-first offense. That's how Seattle won games last year in the second half. And that's how Seattle is going to be winning games in the second half this year by letting that pass-first offense genie out of the bottle. And once you do that, once you let Russell Wilson win games for you, you can't put that genie back in the bottle. And once you see C.J. Proseis on the field, a player who is truly special, who is truly dynamic in space, you can't just take him off the field at that point and put one-dimensional replacement-level Kristen Michael in there. Put yourself in the shoes of a coach. That's not going to happen. If you're John Harbaugh in Baltimore, once you see what Kenneth Dixon can do in all phases, it becomes very difficult to continue to send Terrence West out there. If you're Pete Carroll, once you see all the things that CJ Procise can do, it becomes more difficult to send Kristen Michael out there. And what are the reports out of Seattle telling us? Pete Carroll wants CJ Procise to play a lot. A lot is a lot. Run the breaking news. A lot is a lot. It's a lot. The Seahawks will give up on Kristen Michael before the season is over. Just like the Giants gave up on Andre Williams. Andre Williams was a spectacular athlete just like Kristen michael andre williams 131.3 91st percentile spark x score great size adjusted agility tremendous burst but he lacked a feel for the game andre williams was a td dependent grinder with poor vision and no nuance as a runner that's Kristen michael I don't watch every snap of every game, but I've seen enough Kristen Michael in a Seattle Seahawks uniform to know this is not a player who's getting the most out of his athleticism. And there was a time with the New York Giants that Tom Coughlin was stubbornly giving Andre Williams 5-10 to carries a game. It happened. Two years ago it happened. You want these athletic specimens to succeed so much. You'll feed them and feed them even when it doesn't make sense, even though those are wasted plays. We saw that with Andre Williams in New York. We've been seeing that with Kristen Michael in Seattle, and that's about to come to an end because what we've seen from Kristen Michael from a fantasy football perspective is that he's a TD dependent grinder and TD dependent grinders are only successful when their team is leading in the second half. And last week, the Seattle Seahawks were leading in the second half, and what happened? Four snaps for Kristen Michael. Four! That's when the TD-dependent grinders score all their fantasy points in the second half of games in which their team is leading. If Kristen Michael is going to underwhelm in that game, you can't play him. The Seahawks are sipping this high-pass volume juice now, and they're not going to simply revert back to being a run-first offense. Featuring Kristen Michael. It's never going to happen again. You'll never see that again. Kristen Michael is a one-dimensional replacement level pounder who has been marginalized by CJ ProSize already, and he will soon be fully supplanted once Thomas Rawls returns. So yes, Kristen Michael is a sell-low. Jarek McKinnon, is he a sell-low? No. Jarek McKinnon, exceptional athlete. Kristen Michael, exceptional athlete. Kristen Michael, missing expectations in recent weeks. Jarek McKinnon, missing expectations in recent weeks. I'm not dropping Jarek McKinnon because Jarek McKinnon has the nuance and the athleticism, has the speed and the vision. I believe that. But I also believe the Minnesota Vikings have the worst run-blocking offensive line in football, and it's very difficult for even a special talent to succeed in those circumstances. Sam Bradford's not giving the Vikings many red zone opportunities, and the offensive line isn't creating any running lanes. Jarek McKinnon is Todd Gurley North. These are special talents. In the worst possible situations where every external force is working against them scoring fantasy points. But you hold on to Todd Gurley because he's special and the situation could improve. You hold on to Jarek McKinnon if you can, because the situation could improve, and if it does, he becomes an RB1 in fantasy just like Todd Gurley would be an RB1 in fantasy if his situation improved. But if you have a number of players on buy, and you need to stream someone, and you're wondering, should I drop Jarek McKinnon to try to win my matchup this week, the answer is yes. In that case, you drop Jarek McKinnon. I'm finding other players to drop, but... I wouldn't hold it against you if you dropped Jarek McKinnon because his situation is untenable. It's a good thing we got that one Jarek McKinnon dance party in when we did. We had that one 18 point week early in the season and then nothing after that. Thank God we got that party in. That seemed like a long time ago. That seemed like a decade ago that we did a Jarek McKinnon dance party. Can you believe we got in a Jarek McKinnon dance party? It's unbelievable to me that that happened this year it seems like so long ago so long just a couple weeks ago just a few weeks ago i feel like that party happened when i was in middle school i was wearing a thrasher t-shirt and jean shorts vans, sneakers yes 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 matt kelly skater dude middle schooler yes was that long ago. So to summarize, we're buying high on Jay Ajayi because we like his situation. We're dropping Derrick Henry. We're selling low on Kristen Michael. We're selling low on Terrence West. We're buying high on Kenneth Dixon. We're buying high on CJ Proseis. And we're stashing Fitzgerald Toussaint even though they don't make Fitzgeralds anymore. That was a long-winded segment on running backs. Buy high, sell low is a fountain of podcast content. Woo! Good thing it's a one-week only segment device Woof! so now for wide receivers we'll have to go rapid fire last show i gave you digs i gave you michael thomas buy high buy high but you want more i know you want more you don't just want running backs you want to win the wide receiver position even more than you want to win the running back position because that's our job roto underworld radio is here to help you win the wide receiver position And you want to buy high on Mike Evans because Mike Evans has a quarterback who will force the ball downfield, and Evans is by far and away his best option in the passing game. Jameis Winston's secondary option at the wide receiver position is Adam Humphreys. You should also be buying high on Adam Humphreys. Adam Humphreys isn't expensive, but his value has increased. And conventional wisdom is, when you have an asset whose value is increasing, sell, sell high, sell high. No, you want to buy those assets with the upward trajectory, and that's what Adam Humphreys has. Adam Humphreys, the last two weeks, 83% snap share, 100% snap share. Seven targets last week, five catches, 46 yards, and a touchdown. He's the secondary option for a team that will be passing a lot in the second half and faces New Orleans in week 14 and week 16. Mike Evans is going to finish as the number one wide receiver in fantasy football this year as long as ben roethlisberger is not 100 if ben roethlisberger gets right antonio brown will surpass mike evans but until that happens we can assume mike evans is the best wide receiver in fantasy football high average depth of target with a high pass volume great matchups and high scoring games that's mike evans that's adam humphreys bye bye you also want to buy robert woods because like mike evans robert woods is The entrenched number one option in the passing game. Robert Woods had a really challenging matchup last week against the Seattle Seahawks. Richard Sherman and company. Robert Woods, 13 targets, 10 receptions, 162 yards, 26.2 fantasy points against Richard Sherman and company. It's pretty good. That's what happens when you're the number one option. You receive double-digit targets in games in which your team is playing from behind. So Robert Woods is now on an upward trajectory. More and more fantasy gamers are appreciating what Robert Woods can do. And still, you should be buying. We talked about buying Jay Ajayi earlier. Does that mean as a team the Dolphins are turning the corner? Should we buy more Dolphins? No, you should be selling low on every Dolphin not named Jay Ajayi. Because all the Dolphins can do is steamroll opposing defenses with the run game. Just because the offensive line and Jay Ajayi are steamrolling defenders doesn't mean the passing game is going to get any better. It's not. A lot of people played a lot of Dolphins last week, thinking it was a great matchup for Ryan Tannehill, Jarvis Landry, Devontae Parker, and it was. Few teams give up as many fantasy points to opposing quarterbacks and wide receivers than the New York Jets, and yet Jarvis Landry, oh boy. Three catches, 33 yards against the Jets secondary. The Jets secondary does not have a cornerback in the top 50 on the playerprofiler.com cornerback coverage ratings. You always want your quarterbacks and wide receivers to face the New York Jets unless they're Dolphins. Sell low on the Dolphins. Get what you can for Jarvis Landry. There's a video on YouTube where I explained why Kenny Stills has more tactical value than Jarvis Landry. Because as a field stretcher, completions to Kenny Stills are more impactful and his presence on the field is a boon for the other receivers in the passing game. Not so with Jarvis Landry. Jarvis Landry's presence is not helping any of his teammates. And when the Dolphins couldn't run block, Jarvis Landry was an important asset because he became an extension of the run game. When there were no holes for Lamar Miller last year, and there were no running lanes for Jay Ajayi earlier in the season, the Dolphins would call quick hitters to Jarvis Landry. Jarvis Landry became an extension of the run game, and Jarvis Landry looks like a running back. When you watch Jarvis Landry play, he looks more like Charles Sims than he does Odell Beckham Jr. But now Miami has an efficient run game. They no longer need Jarvis Landry to operate as an extension of the run game. Jarvis Landry's utility for that offense has been diminished. Sell low on Jarvis Landry, buy high on Jamison Crowder. Because Washington has not figured out how to run the ball, Miami has. Jamison Crowder is also an extension of the run game, but now Deshaun Jackson will likely not play in Week 10, and Jamison Crowder's target share is going to increase to new heights. Jamison Crowder's target share is already approaching 20%. By the end of the season, I wouldn't be surprised to see Jamison Crowder's target share at 25%. He's averaged over 10 targets per game the last two games and over 100 yards in both week 7 and week 8. Jamison Crowder became the number one wide receiver on Washington, and no one noticed. Well, no one but me, because I'm acquiring Jamison Crowder in all formats. Redraft, certainly, but especially dynasty. Jamison Crowder is only 23 years old. He's the number one wide receiver for a pass-oriented offense, and he's 23 years old. He's also one of the more efficient wide receivers in the National Football League, plus 18.3 production premium. That's top 15 plus 24.6 target premium. That compares Jamison Crowder's per-target fantasy output to the other receivers in the passing game, plus 24.6% is an enormous number. That's 11th in the league. Because his catch rate's 70%. He doesn't have an incredible depth of target. His average depth of target is 8.6. But because Crowder's catching every football thrown in his direction, he's posted WR2 fantasy production this season. Jamison Crowder, at this moment, is already a WR2 in fantasy, a low-end WR2. But as that target share continues to increase, Jamison Crowder is going to creep into the top 20 fantasy wide receivers. That's a player you should be buying high on, not selling high. But you should be selling Marvin Jones. Marvin Jones is a sell-low candidate, and I can hear it now, but the air yards, the air yards. Last week, you talked to Josh Hermsmeyer about air yards, and Marvin Jones has the air yards. Golden Tate doesn't have the air yards. Okay, outliers do exist. One of my many missions, as I sit behind this microphone, is to help you identify outliers beware of them. Take advantage of them. Golden Tate is an air yards outlier. Golden Tate is one of the few wide receivers who's super productive while being near the bottom of the league in air yards. So Golden Tate is an air yards outlier. Marvin Jones has outscored Golden Tate by less than 20 fantasy points total this season. In the last few weeks, Golden Tate's production has dwarfed Marvin Jones. Why? Golden Tate was playing through a significant ankle injury earlier in the season and if you're a yak monster if you're a wide receiver who relies on yards after the catch you need to break the defender's ankles and you can't do that when your own ankle isn't working properly but now that golden tate's ankles are working properly what's he doing he's breaking a lot of tackles he's running more downfield routes He's doing it all as he did in 2014 when Calvin Johnson missed multiple games. Golden Tate is back to being Golden Tate, the one true air yards outlier in the NFL. And if Golden Tate has supplanted Marvin Jones as the primary option in the passing game, then Marvin Jones is a sell Marvin Jones is a complimentary receiver. Marvin Jones has been a complimentary receiver his entire career. Go all the way back to his time at Cal. At California, he was a complimentary receiver to Keenan Allen. That's why he only posted a 26.3%, 36 percentile college dominator. Marvin Jones was celebrated earlier in the season, vastly outperforming his ADP. It's true. He did. But as the weeks go on and Marvin Jones continues to post fantasy performances outside the top 50, week six, 10 receiving yards. Week 8, 33 receiving yards. Week 9, 5 receiving yards. The return on investment for Marvin Jones is declining rapidly. Sell now while he still has great brand equity. Sell now while Marvin Jones is still considered the number one wide receiver on the Detroit Lions. It's not going to last. Fantasy football enthusiasts are going to look up two weeks from now and realize, oh, Golden Tate has been more productive this year than Marvin Jones. By the end of the season, fantasy gamers will look up and go, wow, based on their respective ADPs, Golden Tate was a better value than Marvin Jones in 2016. Higher return on ADP investment. Wow, I didn't see that coming earlier in the season. I know you didn't, but that's why I'm here, to predict these things in July and August. And to remind you that Marvin Jones could never exceed 850 receiving yards in four years at California. Why were you expecting him to be a 1,000-yard receiver at the NFL level? That didn't make sense. Marvin Jones has never eclipsed 850 receiving yards in his entire career. He will this year. Will he get to 1,000? Maybe. Maybe not. But when you draft a receiver, you want the receiver to produce the majority of their fantasy points earlier in the season. You'd much rather have the receiver start hot and fade than to start slow and turn it on because you can get the best of both worlds when they start hot. When Marvin Jones starts hot, you can reap the rewards of his fantasy output in weeks one through five, and then you can trade him because you know what he is. You go to playerprofiler.com, you see his college dominator, you see his workout metrics, you look at his resume and you go back through time eight years and see, oh, this has never been a primary receiving option. At Cal in Cincinnati, this is a complimentary receiver. The collegiate metrics, the workout metrics, the NFL opportunity, productivity, and efficiency metrics on playerprofiler.com told the full story of Marvin Jones over the summer. By late August, Marvin Jones was being drafted in the fifth round of fantasy leagues, and that was fair. He was properly priced once all those fantasy articles talking about how Marvin Jones was the best value in fantasy were published. The market corrected accurately on Marvin Jones throughout the summer. And those of you that ran off to the extremes after four weeks saying Marvin Jones is a WR1 in fantasy... We're zooming in you weren't zooming out you were obsessed with the small sample and fooled by randomness tyrell williams on the other hand has not slowed down tyrell williams is a bye high he's bigger than marvin jones a better college dominator and better college yards per reception than marvin jones and his workout metrics are better than marvin jones across the board 40 time burst score agility score catch radius, all in the 70th percentile or above. Tyrell Williams is strikingly similar to Cameron Meredith. They're both by highs right now. Now, Cameron Meredith isn't a buy-high in redraft because his value cratered. Cameron Meredith is actually a buy-low. There are buy-lows out there. Certainly, there are some players who I believe will exceed expectations as the season goes on. Golden Tate was a buy-low earlier in the season. Cameron Meredith is a buy-low now. Tyrell Williams and Cameron Meredith are both starters on teams that will be throwing the ball a lot in the second half. Tyrell Williams is more valuable than Cameron Meredith because Tyrell Williams' quarterback is Phillip Rivers. Cameron Meredith's quarterback is Jay Cutler. Cameron Meredith is competing with Alshon Jeffrey for targets. Tyrell Williams is competing with Travis Benjamin. And now Travis Benjamin isn't practicing. He's been playing through a PCL injury, practicing on a limited basis in previous weeks, but now he's not practicing at all. That tells you that he may have suffered a setback with that PCL injury. Travis Benjamin is unlikely to play this week. And if Travis Benjamin is unlikely to play this week, you have to play Tyrell Williams in all formats. Start him in every redraft in Dynasty League and get him in your DFS lineups in both cash games and GPPs. Cameron Meredith is absolutely a GPP play this week. Because the Bears are going to Tampa Bay, and Tampa Bay is one of the friendliest pass defenses for opposing wide receivers. The highest-owned wide receiver this week is going to be Alshon Jeffrey. If you're looking to stay away from the highest-owned wide receiver in GPPs, our lineup optimizer, playerprofiler.com forward slash optimal dash lineup, The DFS lineup genius will not include Alshon Jeffrey in any of its GPP suggested lineups for DraftKings and FanDuel because of his high ownership. He'll be over 30% owned, so he'll be a stay away for us because there's a lot of options at the wide receiver position, including Cameron Meredith. Cameron Meredith is a buy low in redraft and a buy high in dynasty. Because Cameron Meredith had no value earlier in the season. And now we know Cameron Meredith can be an efficient wide receiver when given opportunity. Dynasty leaguers recognize this. And savvy dynasty leaguers have been trying to acquire Cameron Meredith for the last five weeks. buy high in dynasty. But think about Cameron Meredith's situation. Alshon Jeffrey is going to be gone next year. Jay Cutler will be gone. So it's possible that the Chicago Bears upgrade their quarterback... And there will be less competition for targets for Cameron Meredith. That's the best of both worlds. He'll be competing with Kevin White for targets. Advantage Cameron Meredith. Cameron Meredith is a far superior wide receiver talent to the historically overdrafted and overrated Kevin White. The Bears are going to draft a quarterback, but they also might bring in a veteran. They might sign, I don't know, Tony Romo, for example. Imagine the Bears with Tony Romo and Cameron Meredith in the number one wide receiver chair. That's why Cameron Meredith is a buy in Dynasty. Cameron Meredith is a sneaky buy in Redraft, Dynasty, DFS. An even sneakier by both this week in DFS and for the rest of the season in redraft leagues, Dontrell Inman. If Travis Benjamin doesn't play, then Dontrell Inman and Tyrell Williams are your starting wide receivers. The Miami Dolphins have been stout against the run in recent weeks. They have Ndamukong Sue. It makes sense. You beat Miami with an efficient pass game not a run game. So Phillip Rivers will be completing a lot of passes this week to Antonio Gates, Tyrell Williams, and Dontrell Inman. Look at Dontrell Inman's recent game log. Six targets, seven targets, nine targets. Upward opportunity trajectory for Dontrell Inman. Earlier in the season, he had an 11-target game. Why is that? Because no wide receiver has run more routes for the San Diego Chargers than Dontrell Inman this year. Why hasn't Dontrell Inman performed better? Well, in Week 7, he was facing Desmond Trufant. And before Week 7 and after Week 7, do you know who the Chargers played? The Denver Broncos. The San Diego Chargers are an AFC West team that no longer has to face the Denver Broncos. They've already run through the Denver Broncos gauntlet. San Diego Chargers skill position players are riding their bike with no hands, chest pointed to the sky, arms extended, basking in the sun with the wind blowing back their hair. That's how it feels to own San Diego Chargers skill position players. They have the best possible schedule moving forward, particularly those assets in the passing game. Phillip Rivers has the best schedule for any fantasy quarterback and easily the best fantasy football playoff schedule. You want to get your hands on Phillip Rivers. You want to be trading for Phillip Rivers now. Not tomorrow. Now. You should have already traded for Phillip Rivers by now, based on his fantasy football playoff schedule. And you should be buying high on Tyrell Williams and buying high on Dontrell Inman. We talked about this at the beginning of the season. Dontrell Inman replaced Keenan Allen in the lineup. Dontrell Inman is their starting flanker running the Keenan Allen route tree. He looks like Keenan Allen. He's 6'3", 205 with a 1066 agility score. That's 97th percentile. Dontrell Inman is an exceptional route runner with incredible short area agility and lateral quickness. Those are the positive attributes on the Keenan Allen scouting report. And this week, Dontrell Inman is only $3,400 on DraftKings, an incredible value. He's both a cash game play and a GPP play because Dontrell Inman has incredible upside in that offense playing Miami. Look at what he did in week four against New Orleans. Seven catches, 120 yards, and a touchdown. Dontrell Inman is capable of returning more than 5x value. If you go to the theplayerprofiler.com DFS lineup genius, you will see Dontrell Inman in both cash games and GPPs. Here's a cash game lineup. I'm particularly fond of this week because this is one of the few weeks in which you can get away with playing two expensive running backs on DraftKings. It usually doesn't make sense to play two expensive running backs on DraftKings, a PPR format, because there's at least one free square running back available, a backup running back thrust into a starting role. But I'm struggling to find a reliable free square running back this week. And we should ask Bruce Elliott from no halftime if he sees any free square running backs on the slate this week. Maybe Peyton Barber, but only if Doug Martin doesn't play. So in the absence of a free square running back, we're paying more for RBs, and one of my favorite suggested cash game lineups for DraftKings this week features Marcus Mariota, Ezekiel Elliott, and David Johnson, Mike Evans, and Alshon Jeffrey to take advantage of what will likely be a high-scoring game between the Bears and the Buccaneers, and a lot of targets being directed at Mike Evans and at Alshon Jeffrey, Dontrell Inman as your third receiver, and at Flex... Tyreek Hill. So fortunately, even though we don't have any free square running backs, we have a couple of free square wide receivers. Dontrell Inman is a free square wide receiver this week in the starting lineup with no Travis Benjamin facing the Miami Dolphins and Tyreek Hill is a free square wide receiver in the starting lineup facing the Carolina secondary that allowed 300 yards to Julio Jones at one point earlier in the season. And Tyreek Hill has Julio Jones level athleticism. 122.5 90th percentile Spark X score for Tyreek Hill. Tyreek the Freak. He's small, 5'8, 185, but he runs a 4'3, 4'40. That's a 97.1 height adjusted speed score. It's impressive if a 5'8 player has a height adjusted speed score above the 50th percentile. Think about that 94th percentile burst score, well above average agility. So when you have a great vertical and you have great lateral quickness, your catch radius expands. So even a 5'8 player can have a 1021, 85th percentile agility score on playerprofiler.com. Tyreek Hill was not a college mega producer. He wasn't dominant at the college level. But if you're thrust into a starting role with that kind of athleticism, that's what a free square looks like. And we rounded out that DraftKings lineup playing Virgil Green at tight end, starting tight end facing New Orleans. That'll be the most implied points the Denver Broncos get all season. And then the Jaguars, a sneaky defense play at home against Brock Osweiler. So personally, that's my favorite suggested cash game lineup because it includes three buy-high wide receivers in Mike Evans, Tyreek Hill, and Dontrell Inman, and a buy-low receiver in Alshon Jeffrey. We mentioned earlier that Cameron Meredith was a buy-high in Dynasty. Is Jeff Janis a sell-low in Dynasty? No. And yes, I saw the ball clank off his face mask. I saw it. He dropped a pass, everyone. He did. Jeff Janis dropped a pass. Looking back the last few seasons, the NFL leader in drops is Brandon Marshall. Amari Cooper was near the top of the NFL in drops in 2015. And Jeff Janis is going to drop some deep passes because deep passes are harder to convert than short passes. Higher degree of difficulty the farther you go downfield. And if Jeff Janis is going to operate downfield, he's not going to convert some of those passes. But we've seen plenty of deep balls be converted by Jeff Janis in the playoffs with the game on the line. So when you call him Janis Droplin, I'm not laughing. Janis Droplin, not funny. I'm not dropping Janis Droplin. I mean, I'm not dropping Jeff Janis in Dynasty. With Jeff Janis, you're playing the long game, not the short game. He's the natural replacement to Jordy Nelson at the X receiver position. I believe it's going to happen eventually. And that's why I'm continuing to roster Janis drop Jeff Janis in Dynasty. At the tight end position, Rob Gronkowski is a buy high right now. He's Tom Brady's number one wide receiver. He can't do anything wrong at this point. In Dynasty, I'm selling Rob Gronkowski because I don't think that Rob Gronkowski can continue to party off the field like he's been doing and maintain his performance on the field. It's not possible. But in the shorter term, in redraft, Rob Gronkowski is a buy high. Because even when he does act out, it's funny. It doesn't matter how oafish it is. We will find Rob Gronkowski humorous. Travis Kelsey threw a towel at a referee and was ejected. That happened last week. That was humorous. Martellus Bennett throws a towel at a referee. Not only is he ejected, he's suspended. Rob Gronkowski throws a towel at the referee. The referee snatches it out of the air and they laugh. (laughs) Oh, Rob. (laughs) Oh, you're so cute. You oaf you're so cute let me mess your hair up rob throwing a towel at me (sighs) get back in your huddle travis kelsey you're out of here martellus bennett you're suspended multiple games rob gronkowski can do no wrong the cameras could catch rob gronkowski masturbating on the sidelines catching him mid ejaculation and the public wouldn't care we would celebrate it it would be viewed as funny he can do whatever he wants another patriot larry Izzo, Once defecated on the sideline, instead of missing a play to go into the locker room to go number two, he found a way to do it on the sideline, and Bill Belichick gave him a game ball because of it. That happened. So, of course, Rob Gronkowski could get away with defecating on the sideline. I'm saying he could get away with masturbating. How far can Rob Gronkowski take this? Contact the show, at Roto Underworld on Twitter. Email us, rotounderworld at gmail.com. How far can Rob Gronkowski push the boundaries before it stops being amusing? Lo and behold, here's some Gronk breaking news. (laughs) Rob Gronkowski sodomized an opposing tight end. And I hope it wasn't Zach Ertz. I'm buying Zach Ertz. He's a buy high. He's a buy high because he already reemerged last week. Eight targets, eight receptions, 97 yards. The old Zach Ertz is back. He broke his ribs earlier, missed multiple games. Those ribs have healed, and he's now back to being the old Zach Ertz. The old Zach Ertz was number one in tight end targets in the second half of the season in 2015. The only receivers of consequence in that Philadelphia Eagles passing game are Jordan Matthews and Darren Sproles. That's who Zach Ertz is competing with for targets. It's not like he's competing with Julio Jones, but Austin Hooper's competing with Julio Jones for targets, and he's also a buy high. I buy players after they break out. That's what buy high means. We talked about it on a previous show. Austin Hooper, average or above... Workout metrics across the board, including fantastic size adjusted agility. And you could argue, after Julio Jones, he's the second most dangerous receiver in that passing game. He's clearly better than Jacob Tammy. Jacob Tammy is an aging. Below replacement level tight end, Austin Hooper is a young, dynamic player. He's already 22nd in the league in air yards, and he's only started one game. 9.8 air yards per target near the top of the league. He's catching balls downfield and scoring touchdowns, and when he catches balls near the line of scrimmage, he's breaking tackles. His 75 yards after the catch is also top 30. So if you're already in the top 30 in key metrics, including fantasy points per game, and you've only started once, arrows pointing up. He was the second tight end drafted this year only because Hunter Henry also came out and Hunter Henry has already broken out and is viewed as a top 10 tight end in dynasty leagues. I think we have to start thinking about Austin Hooper as a top 10 tight end in dynasty leagues now as well, but unlike Hunter Henry who got hurt and was relegated by Antonio Gates. Austin Hooper is not competing with an Antonio Gates level talent for targets at the tight end position. The job is his now. And he's tethered to Matt Ryan, a top five quarterback by every measure this season. That's what we're looking for. Players with ability thrust into situations where they can thrive. That's Austin Hooper. That's what a buy high looks like. And as I mentioned, we're going to talk to Bruce Elliott about buying high and selling low and. He's one of the key people responsible for No Halftime. Go to playerprofiler.com, go to any player page, and you'll see play Austin Hooper on No Halftime, play Rob Gronkowski on No Halftime. Click on the icon, download the app, and get started. I love No Halftime because it allows me to send individual player challenges to my friends. Single player. Julio Jones, over-under 20 fantasy points. Or, one of my favorites, who's going to have a better game this week? Demarius Thomas at New Orleans or Emmanuel Sanders at New Orleans? Most people would say Demarius Thomas. I'm saying Emmanuel Sanders. That's the perfect case study for no halftime. If you like a player more than consensus, stake your claim to that player. And if you're lower on a player than most, like Marvin Jones, stake your claim to that player. can make a lot of money on no halftime by just... Sending challenges like Emmanuel Sanders versus Marvin Jones. I'll take Emmanuel Sanders. You want to take Marvin Jones? Good. The challenge is on. And when you sign up for no halftime, make sure you enter the promo code player100 to receive a deposit bonus. Now, let's go talk to Bruce Elliott from no halftime. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio program. Bruce Elliott, he is head of product, head of software development, and the co founder at No Halftime. Excited to talk to this guy. How's it going? Just looking at some challenges on No Halftime right now. Do you have the challenges up on the No Halftime app at the moment? I do actually have the app up. What challenges this week on No Halftime are piquing your interest?
1: Hmm. You know, it's funny. I actually saw a couple of challenges that really did pique my interest. One in particular that I I thought was pretty good was uh, ODB versus Julio Jones this week.
0: Oh, who's going to score more fantasy points head-to-head, Julio Jones or Odell Beckham Jr.? That's the great thing about no halftime. It's not team against team. It's player against player. That's what makes no halftime different. That's why I like it. Player Profiler is all about examining a single player, getting under the hood and understanding both the intrinsic qualities of a player and their situation. And when you're on that player page, you can just click on the no halftime icon on that player page right in the center and set up a challenge or accept an existing challenge regarding that player specifically. It's easy. It's fun. You don't have to set up a million lineups. You're looking up a player and... Boom, you fire off a challenge to someone who also has no halftime. Who's going to do better this week? Odell Beckham Jr. or Julio Jones. I love it. So when you and your colleagues created no halftime, was this what you were thinking would happen? What was the thought process? What need, desire were you trying to satiate with sports fans when you created no halftime?
1: Ah, Great great question. Um, So... We figured that there were people, tons of people who were already out there who who wanted to challenge other people um, fantasy knowledge wise. So, for example, you know, me and the other guys, we would challenge each other. Uh, We would say, hey, I think that my quarterback is going to do better than your quarterback. And we figured, hey, there's probably other people out there in the world who believe, you know, one guy is going to do better than another guy. So why not give them a, a simple platform to create these challenges
0: For any sport. The beauty for me is in the simplicity. I am obsessive compulsive about succinctness. In a previous show, I challenged the lexicon that Josh Hermsmeyer was using. Even using superfluous words in your phrasing bothers me. (laughs) I'm a precision snob. I like elegant. I don't like bells and whistles. I like things to be boiled down to their essence, and that's what No Halftime does. It boils down your knowledge versus your friend's knowledge. Distill it down to one binary challenge Player X versus Player Y. PlayerProfiler.com is a big supporter of No Halftime. Go to any player page, click on the Play Des Bryant, Play Odell Beckham Jr. link in the middle of the page. Set up the no halftime app and start challenging your friends. What about the quarterback position? So often on the show we talk about the streamer de jour or the streamer de week, whatever the word week is in French. What's the? Do you, do you speak French? Mm, mm, no. <laughs> I'm gonna look up week in French. Week in French. De jour doesn't make sense because that would be of the day. Player Du Semen. Oh my god, that's awful. That does not roll off the tongue well at all. Player de semen. <laughs> I can't get it right. I love player de jour. I love de jour. That sounds so much better, regardless. Last week Colin Kaepernick was our QB streamer de jour. Who's your QB streamer de jour this week? Bruce Elliott. Joe Flacco It's
1: probably my streaming QB this week. Yeah, I got to go, Joe. I think Uh. he's going up against the Cleveland D. They're uh, 31st in the league, I think. uh, Or they're right at the bottom in terms of pass uh, uh, against the quarterback. So you got to pick on that defense. You got to pick on him.
0: I've streamed Joe Flacco earlier in the year. I streamed him against Cleveland in week two. Mm. What did he do? 300 yards. Yay, great. 300 yards. Joe Flacco. Uh, Two touchdowns, fine. Two interceptions. Not great. 55% completion percentage on 45 attempts against Cleveland in week two. The problem with playing Joe Flacco, even against a weak pass defense, is that he's not good. Six touchdowns, seven interceptions. This is his worst season as a professional. Every time I think it's safe to stream him, he disappoints me. But this is the week. If you're going to stream Joe Flacco, this is the week. The problem is Joe Hayden is healthy. And so their pass defense is revolutionized. When Joe Hayden is on the field, he makes all the difference. Last week, Dez Bryant was featured in the playerprofiler.com DFS lineup genius. A lot of cash game lineups, a lot of tournament lineups featured Dez Bryant. We love Dez Bryant's value. And it was a mistake why was playing des bryant a mistake recommending des bryant was a mistake because joe hayden was active and we did not appreciate how important it is that joe hayden was active because joe hayden wasn't very good last year and he's been active for only a handful of games this year so the data we had on joe hayden was skewed by his poor performance in 2015 and a small sample set in 2016. But then you watch what Joe Hayden did last week against Des Bryant. A healthy Dez Bryant. He neutered him, Bruce.
1: <laughs>
0: I've told the audience on a couple occasions, we had started a black ops project at playerprofiler.com to collect data on cornerbacks. The cornerback pages are not available yet to the public. They will be. As part of our subscription service in 2017, I have access to the data and almost no one else does. And what I'm looking at right now is Joe Hayden's passer rating allowed when targeting receivers he's covering 34.8. That's top five in the NFL. We have a proprietary coverage rating, which looks at passes defended, how frequently the cornerback is targeted. Joe Hayden's coverage rating plus .52, that's top 12 in the league. Look across the board, the metrics that we have on cornerbacks. Joe Hayden is not being targeted very frequently, and when he is being targeted, receivers are not catching the ball. 47.2 catch rate, top 12 in the NFL for NFL cornerbacks for Joe Hayden. He's back to being the Joe Hayden we were familiar with in 2013 and 2014. He's a nightmare for wide receivers this year. I assume Joe Hayden's going to shadow Mike Wallace because Mike Wallace has become the number one receiver for the Baltimore Ravens. With Joe Hayden likely stifling Mike Wallace, it's up to a 37-year-old Steve Smith who's been in and out of the lineup, Kamar Aiken, Brashad Perriman, Highly inconsistent receivers to make it happen for Joe Flacco. I'm addicted to playing Joe Flacco when he faces the Browns. I'm doing it. I'm going off of your recommendation, but I'm still shaken by the clear and obvious blunder. Missing the fact that Des Bryant was facing a top 10 corner in the NFL. We're also rolling out a cornerback ranking service. We examine all the metrics on cornerbacks, and we stack rank all of them. That's going to be available in 2017. Joe Hayden is showing up at number six. What's the rule of thumb we've talked about all season? You don't play wide receivers when they're matched up against top 10 corners. You don't play wide receivers when they're matched up against top 10 corners. Last week, Des Bryant was matched up against a top 10 corner, and we completely blew it. Back to you, Bruce. (laughs) just kidding so we're playing joe flacco we're not playing mike wallace but targets will likely be funneled steve smith's way Mm -hmm. so that's interesting looking at the running back position is there a free square running back that you see this week a running back who's going to be thrust into a starting role who's going to be inexpensive on daily fantasy platforms and a sneaky challenge on no halftime where you could get away with challenging a name brand running back against an unknown running back who may be thrust into a starting role this week and steal a contest against one of your friends on no halftime do you have one of those free squares for us bruce there's a few
1: that kind of come to mind paul perkins of the new york giants uh, i like paul i think uh he's uh he's stealing he's gonna be stealing snaps away from jennings moving forward i think the, he's being utilized more in the past game every single game and he's just more efficient with the carries that he's getting so far so so i think paul perkins could be could start to uh could have a good week
0: do you know what's interesting about paul perkins when you look at paul perkins stature Mm -hmm. his workout metrics and his college resume the totality of the metrics no player is closer to the 50th percentile in more metrics Mm -hmm. than paul perkins height weight College dominator, college yards per carry, college target share, 40 time, speed score, burst score, bench press, all right about average. I mean, he is the definition of the average running back, but guess what? That's okay when the running backs you're competing for touches with are Rashad Jennings, Orleans Darkwa, and Bobby Rainey. These are not special running backs. And if you're the young running back with juice, you're the one that's going to get carries. And if you're getting carries in the backfield with Eli Manning at quarterback, there's going to be opportunities to catch the ball in space and make plays. The team scores points. You can get red zone carries. We saw last week one of the reasons why Mark Ingram had one of the highest scoring weeks in fantasy was because he caught a pass out of the backfield in the red zone and took it in for a touchdown that's what paul perkins is capable of doing true indeed true indeed i like peyton barber this week peyton barber is as close to a free square as you're going to find doug martin is practicing but doug martin hasn't played since week two i believe if doug martin plays it will be in a limited capacity they're going to ease him in less than 10 carries and peyton barber will receive the majority of the running back touches for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this week. He's also not a special player. 98.4 speed score for Baton Barber. Average. 11.21 agility score. Average. 20 bench reps. 50th percentile. Average. Spark X score, 112.1. 48th percentile. Average. He's an average guy. The only difference is he's big. So Peyton Barber will receive a lot of between-the-tackles carries. And if the Buccaneers are leading, he's going to have a big week. He could break some tackles, a couple long runs, break through for 100 yards and a touchdown. That's very much in Peyton Barber's range of outcomes this week. At the wide receiver position, who's that weak winner for you this week, that wide receiver with the highest ceiling? I got to go uh, ODB. I think uh mm. He had two, the
1: two touchdowns last week. Eli starting to play a little bit better. Um, he had a chance for three touchdowns last week, and uh, he just missed it. Uh, I think this week against Cincinnati, I think he goes off for two two TDs and uh, over 100 yards.
0: I got a sneaky one for you. Okay. Emmanuel Sanders. Mm. I love Emmanuel Sanders. Emmanuel Sanders is the true number one wide receiver on the Denver Broncos. It's no longer Demarius Thomas. It's absolutely Emmanuel Sanders. Over the last three years, Emmanuel Sanders' efficiency has dwarfed Demarius Thomas. And over the last 16 games going back to 2015, Emmanuel Sanders has also out-targeted Demarius Thomas. So the Broncos coaches, the Broncos quarterbacks have figured out the best way to win games is to try to get the ball in Emmanuel Sanders' hands. Beyond his stunning good looks, Emmanuel Sanders has incredible upside because he is one of the more athletic wide receivers in the NFL. Even though his quarterback is Trevor Simeon, if he gets his hands on the ball, he can score a touchdown. He runs a four-four-one forty, and across the board, one thirty-point-two burst score, ten seventy-four agility score. He's one of the most athletic receivers in the playerprofiler.com database, and he already has a multi-touchdown game on his resume this season, week three against Cincinnati, nine receptions, 117 yards, and two touchdowns. If there's going to be a team that's going to score points against the Denver Broncos and force them to throw the ball throughout the second half, it's going to be the New Orleans Saints at home in the Superdome. Even last week, the Chargers forced the Denver Broncos to throw the ball in the second half. Now, Trevor Simeon didn't connect with Emmanuel Sanders for any big gains, but it's very possible this could be a sneaky high-scoring game with Emmanuel Sanders and Demarius Thomas both receiving 10-plus targets. And Emmanuel Sanders, in particular, is a threat to go over 100 yards and score multiple touchdowns. So that's my sneaky, super high upside play of the week. And it's straightforward that you would play a wide receiver Uh. traveling to New Orleans. That's a very straightforward play. When you're looking at the slate and you're running those calculations in your head, hmm, player with a high target share traveling to New Orleans. That makes a lot of sense. I'm going to go ahead and play him. Thank you very much. But what about the flip side, Bruce? What do we do with New Orleans players? On the one hand, they're at home! They're at home! They're at home! It's amazing! The New Orleans Saints are at home! This is incredible! Play everybody! Wait a second. They're playing the Denver Broncos. They have by far and away the best pass defense. My brain cavity is collapsing. What do we do?
1: I think you can play Ingram and Hightower. I think what teams have shown is you can run the ball against Denver. You know, you look at what, uh, what, uh, the last few opponents have done against Denver, you know, Latavius Murray went wild. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, I think you can run the ball against them and not be afraid. This isn't the same Broncos team from last year. I think they're susceptible to the run. Uh, you're not going to pass against them. So just, uh, just keep running the ball, run it as, as much as you can. And, uh, So I would start the New Orleans running backs, but I would temper expectations for Drew Brees and those receivers.
0: Amari Cooper was okay last week. Six receptions, 56 yards, 75% catch rate. Not bad. Seth Roberts contributed what Seth Roberts typically contributes. Three receptions, 32 yards. It was really Michael Crabtree that was taken away last week. The problem with the Denver Broncos is, even when cornerbacks go down, like Aqib Talib, their backups are better than most teams' starters on the defensive side of the football. And that was the case with Bradley Roby. Bradley Roby would be a starter on most teams. He's the number four cornerback on the Denver Broncos. That's why their defense is so good, because of not only elite players on the top, but also depth below them. But when you have Drew Brees playing in those dome conditions, it cancels out a lot of what the defense can do, and the health of Akib Tlaib matters a lot. If Aqib Tlaib does not play, then I am going to feel free to play Michael Thomas and Willie Sneed specifically. My feeling is that Chris Harris will shadow Brandon Cooks. I don't know that for a fact. We don't know what's going to happen. The way the New Orleans Saints use Brandon Cooks is they move him all around the field. So even if Chris Harris typically shadows receivers on the right side of the field or typically shadows receivers on the left side of the field, doesn't matter. You can't predict where Brandon Cooks is going to line up. If I'm a defensive coordinator, because Chris Harris is smaller and quicker, I think they would assign him to Brandon Cooks. So Brandon Cooks is a stay away for me this week. But I might still play Michael Thomas because Michael Thomas is a WR1 in fantasy. Michael Thomas is the best rookie skill position player after Ezekiel Elliott. It goes Ezekiel Elliott, Michael Thomas. That's how good he's been this year. He's exceeded all expectations. He's been by far and away the most productive and consistent wide receiver on the New Orleans Saints. No other wide receiver has more fantasy-relevant weeks on his 2016 game log than Michael Thomas does. Not Willie Sneed, not Brandon Cooks. Aqib Tlaib is the number one cornerback on the playerprofiler.com super-secret cornerback ratings that no one else can see but me. (laughs) And I bring this up because this is one of those areas where we diverge from pro football focus. I strongly disagree with a handful of the pro football focus cornerback ratings. One of my strong disagreements from last week was seeing AJ Boy rated ahead of Aqib Tlaib because by most of the measures that we use, Aqib Tlaib is clearly the best cornerback in the NFL in 2016. It's not AJ Boy. The differential between our final cornerback rating for Aqib Talib versus AJ Boy was a wide disparity, and yet on Pro Football Focus they were reversed. They had AJ Boy one, Aqib Talib two. That's not right. Akib Talib is the best cornerback in the National Football League because he's so effective. It's shutting down whoever he's matched up against. He can match up with Willie Sneed. He can snuff out Michael Thomas. Zakeem Tlaib is 6'1", 202. He's one of the bigger cornerbacks in the league, one of the more athletic cornerbacks in the league. His height-adjusted speed score, 106.9, 90th percentile, 1018 catch radius, that's 85th percentile. If he's playing, you cannot touch Michael Thomas. But if he's not, Michael Thomas could be the sneaky of the sneaky super low owned players that does a lot better than people think just because we've been conditioned to see the Denver Broncos on the slate and avoid them you look at the Denver Broncos and you avoid them you see players playing the Denver Broncos and you avoid them Broncos run away Broncos can't play Broncos stay away with Michael Thomas it depends 16.8 fantasy points per game this year, Bruce. 10-plus fantasy points per game every week. Michael Thomas doesn't know what it's like to play a game in the NFL where he scores less than 10 fantasy points. His entire career, all he's known are double-digit fantasy point performances. That's Michael Thomas. So you better bring a keeb to leeb with you, Denver, if you want to get me off of Michael Thomas this week. Yeah. <laughs> Bruce <laughs> Bruce, you don't listen to the show ever, do you? <laughs> and, uh... I could tell at that moment when I stopped and you had nothing. I knew at that moment, oh, Bruce really didn't know what he was getting into with the long-windedness that I bring to the table. You just didn't know what you were getting into. I didn't. I didn't. I know you didn't because you had nothing for me. I had lulled you to sleep. (laughs) It was like the cobra just talking, 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 talking. My head just rocking back and forth talking, talking, strike. And then here's the microphone, Bruce. And you're like, ah, I'm frozen. I'm dead. My face is paralyzed. I've got two fang marks in my cheek. What the hell just happened to me? What show is this? (laughs) You're in a trance-like state. You're frozen. This is when you can go deep. This is when you can fall back into your subconscious. This is where we find the deepest... Of the deep sleepers. I'm looking for that deep stash. The running back that's going to be this year's Tim Hightower. Bruce, he could be third on the depth chart. But I need a running back with a nice profile. If he gets an opportunity in weeks 13, 14, 15, 16, Mm -hmm. he could be an RB1 in fantasy and win people championships. Who you got?
1: Antonio Andrews. I think uh, that whole exotic smash mouth football. I don't know his profile. But he fits the system well. Uh, he's going to have plenty of opportunities in that system. They run the ball. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you. I got to go Antonio Andrews. I think, uh, I don't know, I don't believe Murray is going to make it all the way through. And then uh, the backup, Henry, he's, uh, he's a bit hurt. So I got to go Antonio Andrews.
0: I think he's a league winner. He could be a league winner for you. Henry's very hurt. We talked about Derrick Henry. You stash Derrick Henry because he's a pure injury handcuff, but stashing him in week five and six didn't make sense because in week seven, eight, nine, that's when most of the bye weeks occur. And you don't have the luxury of just holding on to a pure injury stash in the heaviest bye weeks. That's why if you're going to stash a running back in week five, he should be a running back that has standalone value. Someone like Chris Thompson, who you can play but also has upside if running backs ahead of him on the depth chart get hurt. That player now is Kenneth Dixon. Kenneth Dixon's opportunity share has been rising over the last couple of weeks. Now up from 20% to 40% opportunity share. His snaps are rising and he's cannibalizing the touches from Terrence West. So that's why I like Kenneth Dixon as an injury stash with standalone value. If you're going to go to a player who's a pure injury stash, someone that is only relevant if the running back ahead of him on the depth chart gets injured, Antonio Andrews is a great choice. You mentioned you don't have his profile in front of you. Well, here's a tip. When you're doing a podcast, what I do is I pull up playerprofiler.com. It's a partner with no halftime. (laughs) And I just plug in the player and boom, key metrics right in my face. And I have bad news for you about Antonio Andrews' workout metrics in particular. He runs a 4.82. 4.82 is fullback slow. It's very difficult to be an NFL running back running a 4.82, but he was incredibly dominant in college. And somehow, even running a 4.82 at Western Kentucky, Antonio Andrews posted a 6.5 yards per carry. That's impressive. So he has some on-field instincts that allows him to get that big body moving forward fast enough to accumulate yards to matriculate the ball downfield despite an 83.4 speed score and a 103.1 burst score second percentile. These are some of the lowest workout metrics I've ever seen. But what's important is that he's running behind one of the best run-blocking offensive lines in football, 146.7, number one in the league in run-blocking efficiency, the Tennessee Titans offensive line. That's what you should be chasing in your injury stashes. Find the great offensive lines, stash those players. Antonio Andrews, Alfred Morris, those are the candidates you should be looking for because Even if he's not very fast, it's okay. Huge running lanes to run through. We learned this lesson with Jarek McKinnon. We had Jarek McKinnon stashed early in the season, and one of the big reasons why was his 100th percentile Spark X score on playerprofiler.com. Adrian Peterson gets hurt. Yay, we did it! We won, Bruce! Jarek McKinnon, yes! No, no, it's a big problem that the Minnesota Vikings have the worst run-blocking offensive line in football. So Jarek McKinnon's upside was fake because of the offensive line. Another pure injury stash who is someone that you should be rostering because of his offensive line is Damian Williams. Damian Williams is the primary backup to Jay Ajayi. He's getting a few carries, and the carries he's getting right now, he just happens to score touchdowns on. That's not normal. If you get five carries a game, you're not likely to score a touchdown in those games. So I view Damian Williams as a pure injury stash, but one of my favorite injury stashes because if he gets an opportunity to run behind that mauling offensive line, I think he could be just as productive as Jay Ajayi because Jay Ajayi or... As I like to call him, Jai I do a British accent with Jaya <laughs> I, I have not heard that accent before. <laughs> His parents are from Nigeria. They immigrated to England. And then he eventually came to the United States at seven years old, I believe. So he has a British accent. So that's my favorite thing about Jaya I don't like anything about Jaya Jai. is just a guy. Just a guy. He was a compiler at the college level, not particularly efficient in space, not a great receiver. There's just not a lot to like about Jay Ajayi other than the fact that he runs hard. He runs hard and he breaks some tackles sometimes. And so the casual observer thinks, wow, this guy's a hard-nosed downhill runner, Jay Ajayi. I don't think that. I don't think he's interesting at all until I learned he has a British accent. And then I can say, like, Jay Ajayi, hey, coach, would you mind giving me a few more of those carries? Cheers. If Jay gets hurt, oh, coach, my knee. See how it falls apart? <laughs> it's a limited fake accent because if I try a couple extra sentences, like, oh, let's get Jay Ajayi injured. Suddenly I'm caught up in the air. I haven't practiced that. And the accent really falls apart at that point. If Jaya Jai gets hurt, see that I got. See, I've got to practice that. I could do that all night. Jaya Jai, if he gets hurt, Damian Williams will be just as productive because Damian Williams is actually fast. Damian Williams has a 90th percentile speed score. It's conceivable he does more with his touches than Jaya Jai would. Damian Williams is also a better receiver out of the backfield. Who knows what Damian Williams can do getting primary back touches behind that offensive line the key to Jay Ajayi is that the Dolphins are playing four tackles on the offensive line they don't have any guards Bruce they are just four tackles they play tackles at the guard positions four 320 pound jumbo tackles mauling defensive linemen and linebackers and Mike Pouncey The highest drafted center in NFL draft history. Four high first round picks on the offensive line. And Gerard Bushrod is the only non-first rounder. And he was a distinguished tackle during his time in New Orleans. This is the most underrated offensive line we've seen in a long time. And if Damian Williams gets a shot, I think it could be special. Damian Williams could win you a championship. Wide receivers. Is there a wide receiver sleeper that you believe could find his way into the starting lineup and capture a significant target share to be fantasy viable in the second half of the season? Easy money. I got to go back to uh, the Giants. I got to say Roger Lewis. That was mine! You can't take Roger Lewis! No, that's mine. (laughs) Did you see my notes? I sent you notes. You can't take Roger Lewis. That was mine! Bruce! Did did, wait, did you send that one over in the notes? I don't. Know, I I didn't think I saw that one. At ten forty three a.m. Is there a super under the radar wide receiver you are monitoring? That's the question. Mm-hmm. That's why I phrased it in the notes. And under it, it reads: Mine is Roger Lewis. Mm. But I am a gracious host. Okay, All you right. were the guest on this podcast. You sir, yes, may have Roger Lewis. All right, Roger Lewis. Roger Lewis sounds British as well. Could be. Roger Lewis sounds like he would be a part of the aristocracy. <laughs> uh, Madam, may I introduce to you the distinguished Roger Lewis? <laughs>
1: I, I, I got to go Roger Lewis. I think uh, the Giants run uh, tons of three wide receiver sets. Uh, Victor Cruz is uh, banged up on that uh, reconstructed knee he has
0: there, and uh, you can't keep saying guys are banged up when they're full blown out. Victor Cruz is on the shelf, Bruce. It's time for Roger Lewis. It is. Yeah, no, no. You're right.
1: You're right. You can put Cruz on the shelf for a little bit, and I think uh, teams already know uh, what ODB is, so they're gonna they're already gonna shadow him, uh, put the top corner on, and shadow him. So there's going to be plenty of opportunities for uh, Roger Lewis. And then I think Eli is going to start to come on over the next few weeks. And uh, I got to say Roger Lewis.
0: All Roger Lewis does is make plays. Every time I watch a New York Giants highlight clip, if it's not Odell Beckham Jr., it's Roger Lewis. Roger Lewis already has two touchdowns, and he's only played on 11% of the snaps. 10.2 yards per target, 20.3 yards per reception. He's a big play receiver, and he was a big play receiver at Bowling Green in the top five in college football last year in yards from scrimmage for wide receivers. And you think, wow, this guy, he must be this athletic specimen. He's not. He's comparable to Robert Woods. Runs a 4.57, 90.9 height-adjusted speed score. That's 35th percentile. Burst score and agility score below the 20th percentile. But do you know who he reminds me of? Who's he right of? Willie Sneed. Really? Hmm. He's Willie Sneed 2.0. Willie Sneed played in the same conference in college as Roger Lewis. Willie Sneed was at Ball State. Roger Lewis at Bowling Green. All Willie Sneed's workout metrics below the 20th percentile not a special athlete, but understands the nuances of the wide receiver position, understands how to take advantage of the creases and crevices on a football field, get leverage on defenders, and make plays at the catch point. That's what Willie Sneed's good at, and that's what Roger Lewis is good at. I would not be surprised if by the end of the season and the final few weeks, Roger Lewis's target share exceeds Sterling Shepard's.
1: Really? Wow.
0: Wow. Well, you know what I did there? I did that rhetorical trick where I said I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. But I didn't actually say that would happen. Yeah, yeah. That's just a, that's <laughs> just a trick that I do. Okay. That's a rhetorical trick. <laughs> now I have to find an alternative. Hit me. Thankfully, I am a wealth of knowledge, particularly with under-the-radar sleeper-wide receivers. I have an infinite supply. Of sleeper wide receivers at my disposal, Bruce Elliott. My guy is Michael Campanaro. Hmm. Earlier in the season, we had Kevin Cole on the show. Kevin Cole from RotoViz and myself are massive Michael Campanaro fans, as if there's a such thing. I know there's not a such thing. He's Michael Campanaro. I get it. But I mentioned that Michael Campanaro would be relevant this season. I didn't say I wouldn't be surprised. I said that would definitely happen. And what just happened this week? If you're paying attention to the transactions, the Baltimore Ravens activated Michael Campanaro from injured reserve. He's on the active roster, Bruce. He's technically their number five wide receiver. But it's not going to be hard for him to supplant Kamar Aiken all of a sudden. He's their number four wide receiver, and then he only has to move past Brashad Perriman, who has yet to have a fantasy-relevant week. That's not necessarily a challenge. And on that show this summer, I told you the signal I would use when it's time to pick up Michael Campanaro. I placed a small device, a bug-like robot, in the ear of every Roto Underworld Radio listener. And I would communicate to you through that device when it was time to pick up Michael Campanaro. And the signal that you will hear when it is time to pick up Michael Campanaro on your redraft teams, not dynasty, redraft, is as follows. Campanaro. 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 It's like a little bug voice, like a little bug robot. you hear that, Bruce? <laughs> I, I do hear it. and I'm going to check my waiver wires to see if I can find right. this guy. Don't pick him up yet. I'm just telling you what the signal is. Ah. But if you're walking down the street, if you're texting your friend, if you're setting up a challenge on no halftime, if you're giving a presentation at work, and you start to hear the sound, and you don't know where the hell it's coming from. Caponaro? Caponaro? That's when it's time. It's not time yet. It's still only week 10. But in a couple weeks, Steve Smith and Brashad Perriman could collide in the middle of the field. Brashad Perriman could tear the last ligament he has left in his knee, and Steve Smith could blow out the other Achilles. That could happen in one play. Then all of a sudden... All Michael Campanaro has to do is be better than Kamar Aiken to become a starting wide receiver in the NFL. Michael Campanaro's best comparable player on playerprofiler.com is Julian Edelman, and it's a close comparison. Michael Campanaro is essentially an exact replica of Julian Edelman. It's difficult to find a wide receiver that's a closer comparison than Michael Campanaro is to Julian Edelman. And if he's healthy and he gets an opportunity... He's going to be a volume slot receiver in this league, but not yet. Not yet. You will get the signal, Bruce. Campanaro. Campanaro.
1: Campanaro.
0: Saints are at home! This is incredible! Play everybody! Wait a second! It's like the cobra just talking, 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 talking. My head just rocking back and forth. Talking, talking. Strike! And then here's the microphone, Bruce! And you're like, ah! I'm frozen! I'm dead! My face is paralyzed! I've got two fang marks in my cheek! What the hell just happened to me? What show is this? top